I'm your host, Nick, joined tonight by Cody. This is our instant reaction to the Furman game. And we will also tonight be taking a look around the college football scoreboard from the first weekend of play, um, at least through the first, I guess, through Sunday, Sunday's games. Um, Cody, how you doing, man? Football is back. I'm so glad it's back. Uh, it feels like a new, a new something has been brought into my life that's been missing for like five or six months. And uh, the my significant other is on a bachelorette party, so... I'm, you know, been doing nothing but sitting around the house and, and watching football. How, how, how are you feeling? Yeah, I feel pretty good. I think, um, I know most years we, we do get games kind of spread out throughout like the Thursday to Monday of Labor Day slate, but it feels like this year I'm, I'm just appreciating every night, you know, the build up. Um, there's been pretty watchable games on it every night so far. So, um, I'm loving it. I got two kids at home, including a newborn. So I'm not able to just sit there and be glued to the TV and pay attention to every detail of every game. But here and there, when I get the spare moments, definitely keeping track. And um, it was really great to get together with some of the alumni group out here and watch Clemson yesterday too. So I'm super pumped. I agree with you. It's kind of felt like sitting on a loss here for eight, nine months was also not great. So I'm really excited about this season and, and seeing the Tigers lace them up. Totally agree. And, you know, we, we talked a little bit about all the, the good games that we're on. I don't think any of them lived up to the hype, though. Now that now that we've well, I guess we have one more, which would be the Virginia Tech Florida State game tomorrow night. But uh, I'm not saying they didn't live up to the hype because the teams weren't good. It was just the the actual maybe I don't know maybe. So, teams well, let me were, ask you. I mean, it's yeah. week one, like you know, to some extent, and we'll get into this as we get into some matchups. But like, I don't know that. I guess maybe there've been some classics over the years of just week one, you know, heavyweight bout. I remember actually Alabama, Florida state last year was an amazing game in the first half till, um, till DeAndre Francois got hurt. But yeah, I agree with you almost the ones that were supposed to be just, you know, two national title contenders or playoff contenders in like Alabama, Washington, like that one didn't, was not a well-played game early on. And like, that was kind of uh, true across the board. And then you had matchups of several other teams in the top 10 that were clearly overmatched or, you know, overmatching their opponents. So um, maybe not like the, uh, any games that we'll look back at the end of the year and be like, that was a classic, you know, not many for week one would qualify for that. Yeah. I would say the learning we could, we could take from this or college football could take is maybe don't schedule the big game on week one, maybe have a warm up game. And if you're Penn state, maybe have a warm up game on top of the warm up game, just to, you know, make sure all the cobwebs or, or the, uh, the rust, you know, work it out a little bit, but, um, but yeah, like, you know, I think, I think we saw really good teams. I think like Michigan, uh, Michigan, Notre Dame, Washington, Auburn, all really good teams, all with their own set of uh, issues and, and warts. But, but Hey, it's, it's week one. You'll, it'll be interesting to see. They're all, all a really well coached. It'll be interesting to see who prevails over the course of the season. Yeah. I think the big thing, especially once we get into talking about one of the matchups you talked about Michigan, Notre Dame is like, 
it's going to be so easy for people to overreact to what they saw this week and kind of use that as a referendum on the team, the program, the coach, the tenure of that coach, um, their prospects for the rest of the year. And yeah, you know, if you're sitting here a Michigan fan or a Penn State fan, you're not in love with what you got out of your teams this weekend. But I don't think the season is lost. I don't think, you know, I think both of those teams are going to be right there in the thick of it for the Big Ten East. And if they make it through that slate, they're going to have some impressive wins under their belt and they'll probably be playoff contenders unless we're looking at everybody having two losses or more, um, which certainly could happen. They could eat each other alive in that conference. But um, yeah, I'm trying not to read too much into any, anything I saw uh, with the exception of Alabama. (laughs) I think I'm terrified of what I saw out of those guys. Yeah. I mean, if, I don't know if you want to jump into that, Um, you know, we, we don't, well, actually, we probably want to talk a little bit about the Clemson game first. Is that what yeah, you had in mind? Well, we are a Clemson podcast, <laughs> and uh, Clemson played football. So, I mean, just to clarify, like, this is not our Furman recap show. We're going to connect with, um, you know, have a couple more days to kind of look through the game and um, get get um, get some more uh, insight for y'all and come back and do another recap show of that game, um, as well as get our thoughts for kind of the season as a whole. I don't think we've done our kind of season predictions yet, Cody. So um, we're going to do that. But I think it, I agree with you. It would be uh, we'd be remiss not to start with the Clemson game here. Um, any I mean, you know, without going into too much detail, like what what are your maybe top two takeaways from this game at a high level? Yeah, I was trying to think of like what my top two narratives or takeaways would be if there were new, if there were no quarterback battle. Like if that was not going to always be the headline until it gets resolved or you know, whatever, whatever may happen. Yeah. That's the elephant in the room. I mean, I'd be content to not spend that much time talking about that one, but I mean, yeah. What'd you come up with, with your, like what really crept into your mind coming out of this game is like the number one non QB takeaway. Yeah. I got it. I got to say that the freshmen are really good. And it reminded me a little bit of 2011. If you remember Sammy Watkins bursting onto the scene, Mike Bellamy, I think it was just those two really in this case, it wasn't like, uh, one talent that was just, you know, gaudy or, or really, you know, you know, taking all the spotlight, but it was like five different talents, including Trevor Lawrence. We had Braden Galloway, Lynn J. Dixon, Justin, uh, Justin Ross. And I feel like I'm missing one more. Um, oh, uh, Dar- Darian Kendrick. So right. like, you know, you hear a lot of coach speak coming out of the, out of the fall camp, out of, out of spring ball. And you think some of these guys are good, but I, I mean, of course, it was Furman, but those some of those guys are just really good. And the fact that they're doing it their first game it makes you makes you feel pretty good as a Clemson fan. It's going to be exciting. Yeah, in my mind, it takes a little bit of the urgency edge off of winning it all this year. I mean, we've got the Power Rangers all came back. We, you know, a lot of turnover that we're likely to face this coming off season. Um, and normally, you'd be like, "Gosh, we just got to win it. It's championship or bust this year." And I, I do feel like that. However. The future is super bright. We got the cupboards not only restocked. I mean, you know, this may be the most talent we've had on campus at any given point to date and likely going to just improve on that going forward. So, um, yeah, I agree. I think the freshmen are clearly showed out yesterday and um, really looking forward to, I think, I mean, one of my big takeaways from this game is like add that to the abundance of talent we already have on the squad coming back. Um I think a big kind of takeaway I'll, I'll look for for the rest of the season is like, how does Tony Elliott play his hand? Um, is it, do we go a route a little bit like what we saw in 2017 where 
we know we've got a lot of potential, um, you know, trump cards to play within the offense with the, with the talent we have. How much are we actually going to see that in game footage? And how much we're we going to put out there on tape to beat the schedule that's ahead of us? Um, or you know, let's say we we do need to do that. How's Tony Elliott going to make all this work uh, with the embarrassment of riches at the receiver position? Let's say, how do you get all those guys? Um, how do you how do you you know mix in the playbook to kind of spread the ball around and get these guys to develop um, with real game experience? It's a good point, and it'll be, I guess, further it will further complicate things that you will be mixing in two quarterbacks and like whoever the starting quarterback is, whether it's Trevor Lawrence or Kelly Bryant, they need reps with Amari Rogers and D Higgins, and you know there there is some chemistry that needs to develop there. Um, so that's a it's a good it's a good thing to think through. Like what? Well, for also one other thing, just like a pet peeve, we, we'll probably get into this in more depth in the and the, the actual recap, but why is Trevor Lawrence running a, a read option play on third and 13? You're going to get your, like your freshman hurt against Furman. I'm like, what is going on? That, that I think he forgot who was in at quarterback. Let's never do that again. Um, we'll, you know, we'll chalk that one up to just a, you know, an oversight, but uh, let yep. me tell you what my other takeaway. Um, and it might not be as mainstream. It's my, it's the hipster, my hipster narrative. Um <laughs> It took about three drives, maybe even two, where I, I realized there's about two or three catches that have been made by the Tennessee guys, Higgins, Amari Rogers, that probably would have been made last year. And and frankly, T. Higgins made a couple catches that were just like they were super easy. And I know Deion Kane may or may have not made those same catches. So oh, I'm sorry, you're, you were saying like three catches by the third drive that would not have gotten pulled in a year ago in the offense. Exactly. So I think, I think Kelly, yeah, I think Kelly Bryant started something like, you know, his clip was like five for 10 out of the gates and like, he could have been two, it could have been two for 10 had it not been, had it not been uh, T Higgins and Amari Rogers in there. Yeah. A combination of hands, you know, positioning, um, overcompensating for like an underthrow, that kind of thing. Um, and, also, yeah, no, I don't, I don't know necessarily that all that was on uh, Kelly Bryant's placement either. Um, I think through the first three dives, it was all Kelly at that point, but um, Trevor Lawrence also didn't come out that sharp. But I think, yeah, maybe what you're getting at is like, you can take away, you can be confident, you can say like, oh, that's good. We're you know, we have a little bit more margin for error in the passing game. If we got these guys that could just, just get it in the zip code and we'll pull it down. On the other hand, where's this kind of development that we've been hearing about, right? Yeah, did you did you see, like, I saw a lot of the same Kelly Bryant. Now, granted, it's the first game of this, yes. the year. There's some right. nerves. But did you see, like, the improvement that they've been talking about all offseason? I didn't. The other thing is, yeah, I, I didn't. However, this is, this is a scrimmage is really my, like, Alex Askey, one of our the guys that follows us on Twitter, was like, "What's your what's your immediate takeaway on the offense?" And I'm like, "You know, I, I I kind of feel like the team treated this like a scrimmage, and I don't know how keyed in they were. I think the coaches, um, I, you know, I'm sure they had them prepped for Furman. I'm sure they weren't just sleepwalking through this game. I I didn't necessarily see, and one might have thought, you know, if Kelly wanted to fend off Trevor Lawrence and um, you know, really just solidify himself, cement himself as a starter going forward. 
um, we did not necessarily see that type of a performance coming out of the firm game. I don't know if it would be possible. I mean, if he was out there just, you know, 15 for 15 and, um, you know, connecting over the middle, connecting on deep balls, threading the needle, making multiple reads. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe we'd all feel better about that, but I don't know that you could have seen a performance out of Kelly in this game that would have given you that confidence. Agree. Yeah, I think so. Um, you're right about the scrimmage part of it. And even and because of that, I hope like, let's don't even talk about the defense. I feel like there is no, like it, it was like no benchmark for any, like we cannot measure what they did um, right. against the Furman's offense who just put, pretty much pulled out the white flag from the onset. It seemed, but um, yep. I, the only, the only takeaway I think anyone should have from the defense this time is that no one got injured. And I think AB was a little bit, banged up at one point i was super concerned about that but he got in two three snaps later and it was all good he was just uh ankle situation something like that maybe some tightness maybe cramps because it was apparently a million degrees and humid at death valley um thankfully we didn't have to endure that ourselves but anyway yeah not much can be gained by playing a an option team that really wasn't wasn't even trying to throw It, it was like um not even trying to throw to to throw us off a little bit from their option. I, I agree with you. It was like if we were vanilla on offense, they were they're French vanilla. They're ultra ultra vanilla. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot like Kent State. I feel like you know they why and I don't. I mean I don't blame them. You know they're going to collect their check. Like they want to make sure their quarterback stays like alive and not just in good health but alive. Because right. like why why do you want him dropping back in the pocket so he can have. You know, maybe a half second to throw, and as he's throwing before Clee decapitates him. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, so, <laughs> so nothing can I like. Yeah, you're right about the health. Dexter Lawrence, little issue there. I think he's okay. Looked like a cramp as well, but um, yeah, he looks healthy. Maybe that's one thing we can take away from this because you can't fake good health. Um, the, the, the guy that's 350 pounds is moving quick. Like, right. You, that, that doesn't lie. Um, well, I think the, the health thing's not necessarily a given playing against triple option team with, you know, cut blocks and a lot of, a lot of, uh, you know, low, low position, uh, diving happening across throughout the trenches. Um, kind of good to come away with at least no like major reported problems. Agreed. Agreed. So we just, I, I think you're going to find out a whole lot more against a real offense and I'm sorry Furman, you're, you're a, you know, you're formidable FCS foe, but you will find out a lot more against a real offense with uh, Kellen Mond. They let uh, A&M look pretty good in their first game. Granted, it was a really weak opponent, but it'll be interesting to see. The one thing I'll th- I think of is like some of these linemen are really excited to play. They're really excited to make a name for themselves. Like they, I mean, most of them already have, but will they stay true to their, their gap assignment or will they, will they chase the sack or chase the tackle for a loss and try to get upfield and not, and not keep contained? That'll be something I'm looking for. Yeah. I feel like we, at least we saw a decent amount of that over pursuit and almost like uh, me for me type, type of uh, effort. Um, that is great to have on film for Brent Venables for the week for preparation. I feel like he's just going to um, hone in on a lot of that and hopefully course correct uh, for what should be a pretty loud, um, you know, hostile environment at Kyle field in, that text saying out. I think so. And I think the preparation, like say what you want, but they're just not putting in as much prep 
for the Furman game. It's just kind of a, it's like a scrimmage. And they're, they're playing around. Christian Wilkins was like doing some things out there, just like experimenting with his game. And he's, he's done it before. Um, he can do that. <laughs> he's a senior. Uh, we love him. But anyhow, um, yeah, good game. I'm happy. I'm happy with the result. Nothing that I can take away from like the quarterback battle. Um, I'll give a little bit more insight when we have the recap episode, yeah. but um, yeah. we'll say this. Trevor Lawrence is, he might be like the, like the home run hitter right now um, where he's, he goes one for five, but the one, the one out of the five is like a three run homer <clears throat> where Kelly Bryant has good at bats and he, he gets the guy, he hits the runner over from second to third or he gets a bunt or he bunts. But uh, at some point the three on homer, it, it's going to win out. Yeah. Especially if you go up against the team, I'm going to draft the baseball analogies, but um, yeah, go, go up against teams with like an ACE and they themselves score six, seven runs a game. Uh, you, you got to find ways to manufacture the runs and um, you need that upside, right? I think so. I think so. Yeah. You wouldn't not, not yeah, that. And also it just gets, gets a little bit more complicated when you're facing Kershaw. That's right. <laughs> um, well, maybe the very last kind of takeaway from the Clemson game outside of just great to uh, great to have them back. I mean, I think the special teams play across the board was, uh, was excellent. And that's actually an aspect that the matchup kind of doesn't play as big of a role in what you saw and what you could take away. Like I think getting a uh, really good kickoff, uh, you know, the touchbacks from BT Potter and um, the other guy, I'm forgetting his name right now, but he's kind of the backup kickoff only uh, specialist for kicking. Uh, he's a freshman as well. Um, anyway, like that's the kind of thing that you can get that performance in any atmosphere against any opponent. And if you, if it looks good, it's going to translate. Uh, same goes for punt returns with what Amari Rogers brought from a confidence standpoint. So I think special teams just, we can turn that from a complete liability. Like we're ranked in the triple digits nationally into shoot man, 50th ranked. That'd be fine with me um, because that can change the course of some of our games coming up um, where in the past it was just one of those like big question marks. Yeah. I, I don't typically like to talk about kickers too much, but I think you're exactly right. And I will talk, I will say Amari Rogers is talked about him being an upgrade at wide receiver. He's already an upgrade at punt returner. Like he's, he might not take a bunch to the house, but I think he's going to get positive yards. Like he's going to move North South. He's going to move upfield. And he's not going to wiggle or juke, juke or dance around. We'll say he's just going to get upfield, and it's fun to watch. Yeah, totally. That was like after his first return, where he actually ran it, ran it out. Uh, I was like, oh, cool, someone that just runs north south, and you know, is just going to gain a few yards, and that's great. Like especially when you got a defense that, hopefully, from a field position standpoint, three and outs, tackles for losses, everything like that, we're already start with pretty good. Uh, you know, field position from where the, the punt is taking place and where he'll be fielding them. But to tack on, you know, an average of six, eight yards per return, I'm all, I'm all here for that. Hopefully we don't need the house calls to be winning in these games. I Yeah, I hope not. Not till December, at least. Exactly. Um, any more thoughts on Clemson? I'm, I'm pretty good at this point until we unpack a, a full recap later on. That's all I got. I mean, like a lot of people are complaining about the offensive line. I would say I don't need to look at this a little bit deeper, but I, you know, all I'll say about that is I'm pretty sure we started rotating in 
some second teamers. I may, I may be wrong. That's not what we typically do, but I, I thought I saw some second stringers in there pretty early. Um, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry so much about, about that. Yeah. I, and I, um, unfortunately am not well-versed on Furman's defensive line and what they were throwing at us in terms of, you know, uh, odd looks, that kind of thing. And I, I was not examining, uh, their defensive front too closely. I will look to the experts who are going to do film review this week for some of that takeaway, but before we start judging the O-line, uh, but again, very similar, I think I need to see them play a legit power five O-line or sorry, D-line before we uh, start to really be concerned too much. I think so. And I'll say this, uh, the, the Vegas line, they got it right. It was like almost perfect. I think they had like 48 to maybe it was 48 to nothing, but man, those guys, they know how to call it. Yeah. I mean, I think we took our foot out the gas, but they know that about us. So um, I, I'll take a moment here and gloat a little bit about my prediction. I picked, what did I take? 45 to seven was my pick. Um, I was a little pessimistic on Clemson's score, I guess, compared to what we put up. But anyway, it's good. Yeah. You and I both had seven for Furman, but uh, I think I had like 68. So um, <laughs> that was <laughs> I mean, yeah. it was possible. We had that in us. Uh, we, we did not choose to go Ohio State on them, but yeah. Uh, cool. Well, why don't we transition away from Clemson and talk through what else happened in college football? The most exciting game is the Chick-fil-A kickoff game. I believe it was the matchup that had the lowest aggregate ranking between the two opponents um, that would have been both ranked. And I guess when all was said and done, when the dust settled, this game did was exciting down to the finish. It was close. It was within a score. But um, I don't know necessarily that it was the most beautiful football I've ever seen in my life. Not at all. But, well, you know, that's that's not actually true because it seemed like the coaches, like Gus Malzahn's a wizard and Chris Peterson's a really good coach. So, like they were doing some things offensively, Auburn that was really fun to watch. It was just they were like clearly Stidham, by the way, in his second year in the program with the the, the mad scientist Malzahn. Clearly, they have some some things working, and yep. I thought Stidham looked really sharp in the first half. They just couldn't punch it in. There's no carry on Johnson this year. And yeah, they got cute in the red zone big time, and I think that that I mean I, I remember that from when we played last year, where I think they had like three trips to the red zone and came away with six points, something to that effect. Um, and again, they were playing Clemson and UW's defense is good. They're, I don't know if they're going to be a top 10 defense this year, but they're definitely strong, but they're no Clemson. I think it was more self-imposed by Auburn, not, not being able to punch it in there. Yeah, I think so. Maybe a little bit of the short field um, was bothering them, but I mean, Sidham was, he was really, I mean, he's really accurate. And um, I think if I look at the running game, I think this is something we could take, when they, were, when they were, I guess, get the chunk played, on the first down, they were able to use pace and get, like, eight-yard rushes. That was the only time they were able to run the ball. I wish we could incorporate a little something like that. I don't – you know, I guess we do to some degree. But um, – Yeah, just the, how you sequence your play calling and with tempo factored in, yes, run the ball after a long gain. Um, I mean, maybe to take an aside, would you be more inclined to run uh, Travis Etienne in that moment? Yeah, I mean, for sure. What, what, like, what would the alternative be? Oh, I don't know. Um, 
maybe maybe an Adam Choice change of pace, uh, but I guess he wouldn't be on the field in most cases for a long chunk play. So um, yeah. Anyway, not sure uh, where I would go with that, but um, that's also something. I mean, with ETN's burst, you can catch a defensive line otherwise already on their heels coming off of a pass play like that. That this guy now I got to deal with this guy. I mean, be pretty pretty potent. Right. He seems like the he seems uniquely qualified to to, to catch the defense off guard. Um, but yeah, like you were talking about Washington and. They're good, and I won't, I won't hold anything against them or say they're just like a, a poser from the Pac-12. They're a legit good team, and I think they'll go on to probably win if, or at least come close to winning the Pac-12. And I, I will say, though, like it does show represent a little bit of the ceiling for the Pac-12 because you're looking at will probably be the third or fourth best team in the in the SEC. They could still yeah. come out. They, they, there could still be a team that would emerge from the Pac-12, but I think it does represent their ceiling. I would say even though this was a close game, Auburn probably is the better team, uh, yard for or pound for pound or whatever you want to call it. They were just making life miserable for Browning. The defensive line for Auburn, it's not as good as a lot of the, uh, we'll say Clemson's, Alabama, and maybe Georgia's, but it's better than you know, it's 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 better than or it's better than most of you're going to face in the Pac-12. We'll say. Yeah, I mean the two things I know there, Jake Browning, number one, is not a very heady big game quarterback. So uh, nerves may have played a factor. I think you you saw that interception, which should have been thrown in into the sideline. Uh, it was just a complete throwaway that uh, sailed and was picked off. Um, they also were without their starting left tackle. So I agree with you. I think Auburn's got a very talented D-line uh, that probably would have outmatched anyone Washington could have thrown at them, but they did have an injury there. Um, but yeah, I think across the board, Auburn was going to be the more talented team. That said, I do think, I mean, I, I won't go so far as to say I thought Washington outplayed them. Washington should have won that game and they didn't. And um, they're going to, they should be kicking themselves. But ultimately, I kind of saw them, their ceiling as a one loss team at the best case this year. They typically are going to lose one impact while play, similar to how Clemson does, but then to also lose your big marquee at a conference. Um, just is probably going to be too, uh, you know, a bridge too far for them. I mean, two loss should not get in the playoff anyway, even if they, I mean, I wouldn't eliminate them if they were on the table. I mean, I think that we're going to have to see like who else is there. Um, I just am a little skeptical that they're not going to have some slip up along the way. Yeah. And I've heard, uh, I've heard obviously USC, they're trending in a, in a spot. They're recruiting well enough. It's like, they're going to get close to, like top five, top 10 territory. I don't know if it's this year, but either way, it'll be a good game with, with him in Washington and then Stanford, like they're still, they're just old tried and true Stanford. Uh, they don't do anything great, but they're really good at everything. And they're actually pretty good offensively. Uh, they were pretty rusty at first against San Diego state this, this weekend. I think they were Friday night. Um, Bryce Love looked pretty contained. He looked, he looked not like an, a Heisman candidate necessarily. Um, but I'm sure they will figure it out. They're well coached. They got a lot of talent. Um, their their quarterback looked he looked fine. I think he's obviously not an Andrew Locke or even a Kevin Hogan type at this point. But um, yeah, you could see could see Stanford kind of sneak in through the through the north over there. Yeah, I don't think it happens. But maybe just a team like on the peripheral, you know, that that could hang in. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't know too much. I I, I think if uh, we can make, I don't know if you want to transition to Bama, but I'll, I'll say that Auburn is a team 
looking at uh, kind of how they'll stack up. If they made the playoff, it wouldn't be a shock to me. And if if they somehow unseat Bama, like this could be the year. Um, it also could be Bama's like greatest ceiling year, but it also, you know, there could be a little volatility there. So like Auburn does have the pieces, just not quite the same, what you call balance throughout because maybe they're running right. game. Yeah. I think if they can, if Auburn discovers a way to have a multifaceted offense, they beat Alabama last year with that Bama defense. And now Alabama is a worse off defense. So if Auburn can get back to a place where they can run the football independent of uh, what's going on with Stidham, I think that that they will have a chance to keep up with Alabama on the scoreboard. Um, that's going to be super interesting. That one's in Tuscaloosa, I believe. So uh, should be should be a, a much harder matchup this year. Uh, but yeah, uh, I think let's take this moment to transition to the Alabama game. I just think it's going to be tough for them to win the West and for Auburn to get into the playoff as the second team coming out of the SEC. I'm going to assume Bam is going to just go on to beat Georgia in the championship game. Um, Auburn would basically need to be undefeated other than an iron bowl loss. So uh, maybe that can come true. I'm not sure, but I also don't, I don't have high hopes that they'll be able to completely crack the nut on a running game either. Yeah. You know, I haven't looked through all the schedules to see like what scenario, what it would take, maybe a two loss Ohio state plus Georgia teams uh, with, you know, with, Auburn hanging in there with their marquee victory over UW and and yep. with one loss against Bama. Anyhow, um, I mean they're in the clubhouse with the best win of the year so far. So, um, although I guess LSU <laughs> they took down number six Miami. So I don't what was it UW ranked? Were they seventh? Six, 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 and then Auburn nine. I see. What was Miami ranked then? Were they eighth? Maybe I'm misreading. Um, Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Maybe you're right. So it was, they were eighth. Yeah. I think they were eighth. That's on, that okay. was right. Gotcha. Um, yeah. I mean, so Auburn's got kind of the best win in the clubhouse after week one. So yeah, it's kind of, they, they just got to continue to beat the, beat the teams they, their favorite against and see what happens against Bama for the most part. Um, but anyway, Alabama um, pretty much dismantled Louisville. I think Louisville did have some mistakes that led to, turnovers or drive stalling or Alabama continuing drives that those are the kind of things that they never stood a chance in this game. Um, however, you know, there's a difference between getting completely blown out and embarrassed and uh, kind of making a game of it, at least through the first half. Um, the last, I guess maybe the, one of the last things I'll say about Louisville, um, Juwan or Puma pass as he goes by, uh, he looked pretty strong and he held in there against, I mean, Alabama may, may not have another worldly defense this year, but it's still a, an amazing five-star studded defensive cast there that um, he, he stuck in through the end and was continuing to make plays and um, Louisville got a good one. I'm not surprised like Petrino continues to find guys um, and he always has a pretty good offensive game plan. So um, anyway, Louisville's not going to be a complete pushover for us. They've got huge defensive issues though and their o-line still still looks pretty suspect so um i don't know that they'll give us a game necessarily but they may not be the doormat of the acc yeah i wouldn't take yeah too much from from that score uh you're right about your guy juan pass though he, yeah he had, he had a certain like roethlisberger vibe to him where he's like big enough where he, he knows he's probably going to take some hits but he, he he sits in the pocket with his eyes downfield and and you're right like 
this isn't, you know, maybe the not otherworldly Bama defense still comes in for like a solid third or second best defense in the country. Uh, and, right. you know, that, that's a town here. But there's some things available that I noticed uh, in their in their secondary, their back seven. The linebackers are um, they're not what they were, you know, in 16 or 15. And uh, clearly the secondary with five star, you know, the five star studded secondary is plenty, plenty talented. But they were out of out of place at times um, or some missed assignments. So we'll see how that goes throughout the year. But it's 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 definitely a, a small step back. I would say the front four is still very formidable, but but through and through, it's not the same. There's some there's some things to take advantage of, and even though Louisville couldn't put it punch in the end zone, they were moving the ball uh, a good bit. Uh, there are lots of penalties, which which hurt them, but um, they're moving the ball, which which is which is promising for those that face Bama or potentially could face Bama. Yeah, I think my takeaway on the secondary is. You lose someone like Micah Fitzpatrick, and he, he just leaves such big shoes to fill that even if there are guys back there that did have some in-game experience in the past, they were playing the role of following the leader with Micah Fitzpatrick. And someone's going to need to emerge and be kind of that vocal voice back there to um, keep everyone keep everyone plugged in and moving in the right direction. I, I imagine they'll figure it out, but that is, you know, just knowing that it's probably going to be a race to. 40, 40 some points to beat Alabama most weeks. Um, if you've got a capable passing game, like having that potentially be a weakness for them is helpful. I think so. You can't, it's, yeah, Miko was such a pivotal part of their defense last year. And he was, it kind of, it's, it's, it's crazy when you can see a defender, a defensive back make that sort of an impact, but he was the one that could do it. Um, but also, aside from maybe like Mac Wilson, that linebacker, I just don't see quite the side to sideline speed. And I'll, I'll keep watching them and like kind of updating what I see. Um, but I, it, the linebackers don't just don't strike me as uh, Reuben Foster or Dylan. Wait a minute, I'm trying to think of the guy before. Um, he also played for the Niners. I can't remember, but okay. Uh, some of the some of the higher touted uh, linebackers. So, yep. But but Tua, but Tua, he's the eraser. <laughs> Well, before we get to Tua, I mean, Tua, we could talk for, we could do a Tua podcast. We were joking around over text that in addition to our duties tracking the Clemson football team, we kind of need to become a, a mini Alabama podcast going forward and um, and a Georgia podcast. So we'll definitely be keeping a close eye on, you know, observations we have of Alabama's team, Georgia's team, scouting weaknesses, scouting strengths, all that good stuff. So I don't know. As as much as I don't like following the SEC and those teams, I think it's in our best interest to keep track of what those guys have going on. Agreed. In in, in Alabama, Georgia, for sure. And, and Ohio State. And plus, right. it's just fun. You know, enjoy college football. Yeah, they're really well-coached, talented football teams. So it'll be good to see, see what they bring and how we compare to that through the eye tests and other things. Um, but anyway... Alabama's offense led by Tua. Um, no surprise to me that he was going to be the starter. I think all the offseason posturing stuff was just to keep Jalen Hurts from transferring personally. Um, if that's obvious to us, it's, and again, it's not like if the coaches came out and said that, you know, would Jalen have transferred? He's a smart kid. I'm sure. He knew what was, what he was up against and all of that. But um, anyway, yeah, Tua was the man and he delivered. He was, um, I, I think for some reason I had forgotten that he was a lefty coming into the game. Um, just 
I think in that Georgia game, he was like being pushed down. He was almost on his back most of the time until he threw the game winning touchdown pass that I had almost forgotten kind of how he approaches it. But um, I, I guess, Cody, did, did he make, were you more impressed maybe with specific throws he was making or more like his, uh, his intangibles running an offense? Uh, I think it's a little bit of both because like it's the intangibles that allow you to move around the pocket. Uh, like we, we both compared it to Deshaun Watson. That was like, in, not in skill set, but just move, maneuvering in the pocket and feeling when it's collapsing and the eyes in the back of your head type thing. So I would right, say those instincts. Yeah. instincts. So that, that in the way of instincts are intangibles. And then his ability, like Michael Vick with that left-handed motion, just to snap the ball 40 yards downfield and hit, and keep his eyes downfield too. That's like, that's such a big part Like you, you start to see that with Kelly Bryant and, you know, not to take it back to our own battle, but, um, but you see how important that is just keep your eyes downfield and you have great receivers. He was able to, to I mean, it was unbelievable. I think he was like five for six, uh, five scoring drives, touchdown drives. Um, and he, he's really, like we both said, like he's probably the most entertaining player uh, I've seen in, in, in a while, kind of like Lamar Jackson. And you never thought, I never thought I'd say that of an Alabama quarterback. Right. It's like, that's, he's going to be fun to watch, Sarah, but my gosh, now that's on Alabama. Like now that's in Nick Saban's arsenal, which I don't know. I, it's not like I'd never thought I'd see the day. Like I've always kind of been a little perplexed at why they couldn't pull in. They can pull whatever five-star recruits they want in the trenches or at defensive skill positions, or, you know, they'll get a Julio Jones every now and then that kind of thing. Like why not at quarterback? Why can't they do that? So well, probably a, about time. I mean, it, it's more been a conscious choice, right? Not to recruit in those ways. Yeah, like my, my theory would just be they're, they're all about micromanaging the process. And when you have a quarterback like Deshaun Watson or like, uh, like Tua, it's a little bit of like chaos and you can't plan for chaos. Yeah, of like variance just in their, their performance. And there's going to be moments of just like, oh, that could go completely wrong. Oh, oh my God, touchdown. You know, like like the end of that game in the national championship. Um, I'm sure Saban had four heart attacks on that last play alone. Yeah. And I mean, the, the, a couple of passes he made in the national championship game, like you thought he was throwing the game away, but little did you know, like that same variance, uh, it can go against you, but it, you know, it, it went for him in other cases. So I, I can't help but think as great as he is with that level of kind of gunslinger type mentality, he's like all of five, what 11, maybe six feet tall. Like you can't see that even though he keeps his eyes downfield, he can't see that. Well, I have to think there's going to be a game, whether it's against Georgia uh, Auburn or maybe LSU, like they're going to, I feel like they're going to lose one of those games. Cause he's just not going to be on, like he's going to be yeah. wildly off. I mean, I, I just can't now when he's on though, if he's on, I don't know if anybody's going to be able to beat Bama Clemson included unless Trevor Lawrence hits his cl something close to a ceiling. I, I just don't see how with Tua on that, that team can be beaten. I get, you know, I don't know enough about Louisville's D line to Give a give a solid grade to Alabama's O line um, this year, but I think that would be that's where like Georgia I think has an edge on Alabama just in their offensive line depth. Um, and we can get into Georgia briefly coming up here. I mean that's where Clemson obviously we have the Power Rangers like that's kind of where we would need to create our own level playing field with them. Is yes we might need Trevor Lawrence to be hitting 350 yard drives off the tee to be able to uh to keep up but that's where if we can disrupt him he could still be on but if if our d-line or our front is getting penetration 
that's maybe how you neutralize or, or balance it out. But um, in that sense, maybe Georgia is a potentially worse matchup for us. I'm not sure. Way too early to decide that. Yeah, it is way too early. And maybe that's an advantage that we'll have by playing this just cupcake of a cupcake after cupcake of a schedule. And that, you know, it'll be easy for us. We can't, we don't have to put a lot on film. They're going to have to go up against defenses that look similar to ours. And we'll see if Tua will show his hand. Um, and, you know, you only have so much tape at this point in the year. Um, but we'll see if there's some things that we can that we can do, but it seems like just as slippery as he is like going back to the Furman thing, it'll, it'll all be about discipline for the defensive line. But like you said, we have the D line as a Trump card, maybe, uh, or yeah. at least a neutralizer we'll say. And then we, we have our own Trump card, uh, in, in sunshine. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I guess the only question there is Alabama in addition to Tua has a pretty talented, robust wide receiver core that, that could we've talked a little bit about some of our depth in the secondary potentially being Clemson's weakness. That's where that could come come back to bite us. Even if we are pressuring and punishing Tua, like can his receivers bail him out against our secondary? Yeah, he has like the, the group of receivers they have. Uh, the, you know, they don't. I don't think they have the high end talent of like uh, Julio Jones or uh, Mari Cooper, but like a lot of good receivers throughout. Um, long and athletic and then they have their running back stable as good as always with Damian Harris and then I, I think I can't remember Josh can't remember his name last last name but like Najee Harris like the number two recruit in the nation two years ago is like number three as their running back so yeah they, there's some weapons yeah for sure we better stop talking about Alabama before I get too down on the rest of the season <laughs> yeah gushing over gushing over yeah, yeah exactly uh, but anyway, they they handily put away Louisville. Um, they're going to get into their conference here coming up. Uh, but anyway, they're strong. Um, Georgia won in blood fashion against Austin P. You told me you watched that game or part of it. I can't believe that. Uh, it's good on you for kind of scouting out what they've got going on. But any any takeaways worth worth noting? Yeah, their offensive line is just stupid good. And uh, is it Austin Pay by the way or P? I'm messing that up. I'm sure. I would I would say pay, but I it could just yeah. as well be P. I don't I don't think I've ever heard anyone say it out loud. So <laughs> fair enough. My apologies to uh to those that that know it. Yeah. Um, the, anyway, I cut I cut you off. <laughs> no, I was just gonna say uh, so Georgia's offensive line is darn good uh, as we as we've expected. When you keep bringing in five stars, um, some of them are going to be good. They have another great running back, DeAndre Swift. Um, they lost uh, what's Zamir White for the season to an ACL, and sure enough, they got another Cook brother, uh, Dalvin Cook's younger brother. Uh, you know, blanking again on first name, but another Cook guy looks almost as good as his older brother. Um, and they have Holyfield. Uh, is, it, is that a vendor's son, Elijah Holyfield? Ooh. Am I making that up? I don't think you are. I don't know if it's son or nephew, something like that, but I'm pretty sure I remember when he signed. It was like a keep it in Georgia thing. Okay, so we'll we'll say that he's got a certain pedigree and just for, by, by virtue of the whole. <laughs> he's the real man. deal. He's the real deal. So yeah, they have a really good and they have a good crop of receivers. Like they're kind of like Bama. I don't think they have like a big. They don't have a T Higgins or like these huge boundary receivers, but they have like a bunch of five foot eleven, six foot guys that can run. And and anyhow, they're going to be good. I I think their defense. Well, I want to see them test it a little bit. Um, but I think their defense is not quite, I think the, like the losing all four linebackers is going to put, 
put them in a year where it's not like a, a reload or a rebuild year, but it's not a reload. I, I just think they're just next year will be their, their year where they'll have national championship hopes or aspirations. They got to get through the Gamecocks next week first. <laughs> okay. You cut out there. Um, yeah. I mean, if Jake, all right. So that's, that's the, like the litmus test. Uh, we'll, we'll, if Jake Bentley torches you and your, your secondary or through the flats, then, then we know your linebackers just aren't ready. Yeah, seriously. Um, I was trying to look at what is Georgia's at a conference schedule. Obviously, they play Georgia Tech. They do that every year, but they are slated to face UMass, uh, Middle Tennessee, and then they played Austin P or Austin Pay um, already. So not exactly uh, putting it out there to try and play a formidable at a conference foe um, in the FBS. So I don't know. Um, kind of a, an easy reloading, rebuilding year for them in terms of out of conference. But in terms of uh, the SEC West, they will face off. They always they always face um, Auburn as a as a rival, and then they will go to LSU. They're at LSU, um, so that'll be interesting to see. LSU looked pretty strong tonight against Miami. Um, so yeah, I think Georgia certainly will get tested throughout the year. Um, I, I guess in terms of solid offenses, we'll see how many of those they end up facing. I mean, they always play Auburn and um, I'm sure someone will emerge from the SCEs with a decent enough offense this year, but maybe it, maybe it will just be Auburn after all. Could be, yeah, it'll be interesting. I don't want to like say that South Carolina is going to be the surprise team. They, they become the, the trendy pick. It seems to, to surprise a few people. I don't, I don't see it, but I think they will be okay on offense. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. I think this matchup against them is a little too early in the year for a new offensive coordinator at South Carolina. They're trying to implement a hurry up, no huddle offensive system there that I think is going to fail miserably. Uh, just their attempt to do that. But yeah, we'll see. Um, maybe overall South Carolina will uh, overachieve, but I, just, I think it's going to be a healthy Georgia win this weekend. Agreed. Uh, 300 rushing yards is what I'm going to say. And, oh, they have their own, their own uh, Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, who I, I don't think he's going to be. ESPN got it wrong because they ranked him number one over Lawrence. I think Lawrence is going to be the better player, but he's going to be a really good player in time. Yeah. I guess no ill effects for Jake from of his uh, – is it Jacob Eason? Which one transferred to UW? Jacob yeah, Eason, right? Eason, yeah, Eason. Yeah. Jake Fromm, I guess, hurt, injured his non-throwing hand in a lake boating incident that I'm sure didn't involve shotgunning beers at all. <laughs> um, uh, but, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, cool. So let's move on um, across the scoreboard. I think the other game that most people tuned into um, was the Michigan-Notre Dame game. Uh, they renewed their rivalry. I don't know how many years it had been since they had played, but um, I think the home team always wins this one. It was one of the ugliest football games I've seen, Cody. Just, I, I was like, how are there still 13 minutes left in the third quarter? It was indeed oh, ugly. Game, and I was not watching that closely. So well, let me ask you, um, what were you, what, what were like, were you surprised about anything? Like, I know what I, I know what my surprises were, but like, what was it like? What did not live up to expectations? What exceeded your expectations? I think Michigan's defensive line did not live up to my expectations of the hype that I had heard. 
Um, we know about Rashawn Gary. He was supposed to go to Clemson. Don Brown's at Michigan. Uh, he's been there a couple of years. Like this is supposed to be the strength of their team. And it seemed like, I mean, they were good, but they were not suffocating. They were not imposing their will too much throughout this game. I thought, and then maybe something that exceeded my expectations was Wimbush. He looked pretty heady in there. Um, maybe not, he's not, he's not as, he's not going to sling it. I think um, if you want to use recent Notre Dame quarterbacks, I thought Deshaun Kaiser had a much stronger arm, but Wimbush looked pretty capable. And I know Notre Dame's got some, some tough matchups coming up overall, but I, I, I think he could potentially uh, steer them and guide them through that. He seems like he's a good, good leader, good quarterback. Yeah. I, I couldn't believe how, I mean, he was good. He looked, he had some moments, but like, it's pretty clear. He's one dimensional. Like he threw, I think it's, yeah. I think his uh, completion percentage was 49% last year. He doesn't like he's improved too much, at least in one game, the one game sample. How Who does he I, remind you of? If, like, does anyone come to mind? Are you, are you draw? Are you like, do you have someone in mind or are you just saying or asking in general? Yeah, I'm just, just curious. Yeah. I don't necessarily, I'm, I'm trying to, uh, to place him. Yeah, I actually think he reminds me of, of Cam Newton. And just because of his toughness and his ability to run, like Kelly Bryan is, it could be an easy Clemson comparison, but I think he's more talented as a runner. He sees the open field and like he can get to the outside. And I guess just his ability to beat you with his legs and a big enough body, maybe Taj Boyd from that standpoint. But, um, but I think that's who he reminds me of the most. But and to be one dimensional and rely so little on your arm, yet be so effective, that's where like the Cam Newton comparison comes in. How about you? Any any aspect of this game that kind of stuck out to you as surprising, maybe in a positive way for whichever team? I, I'm gonna go with Notre Dame's defense because I mean Michigan Shea Patterson's first game and he was okay, but they absolutely shut down Michigan. Like no running game whatsoever. They couldn't really. They couldn't do much at all. And uh, I, I, Notre Dame's defense last year was really bad, and it was what kept them from having a, a chance of making a playoff. And it's really improved. I, I, I really could see it with Notre Dame with the rest of their schedule lining up in a way where they could they could lose one game and still have playoff hopes. Yeah, they're basically. Pardon the expression. They're the, kind of the turd in the punch bowl for the Power Five conferences because already you're gonna there's four spots, so already one of the Power Five is gonna be left out. Then you have the specter of the SEC or maybe the Big Ten to a much lesser extent, possibly getting two deserving teams to be right there. Um, then you have Notre Dame. If Notre Dame comes into play undefeated, or let's say they drop one to like Pac-12 champion USC, who themselves have like two losses, something like that. Like that's where dropping a boneheaded game to Boston college or to wake forest, something like that for Clemson, we're going to get a lot of benefit of the doubt this year, but the more you've got teams like Notre Dame in the mix, it's going to get harder and harder for them to put us in with a bad loss. um, Committee wise. Agreed in a, apparently a Miami uh, West or a coastal division championship yeah. might not mean quite as much by the end of the year, or if it is Miami, that's actually there. Right. Exactly. Um, so anyway, yeah, Notre Dame is going to be kind of another one. We're not, we're not going to be scouting their position groups for a, a definite playoff matchup coming up. Um, 
I don't know. We're going to play them a ton coming up. Uh, we get our next matchup with them in 2020. And I think we have something like five of the next 10 years we'll play against Notre Dame as they start to phase in a much more robust ACC schedule. And that's not a rivalry. It never has been. I'm not really looking forward to playing them that much. Not because I think we can lose against them, but it's just like, I don't know. I would much rather, if we're going to be playing a team on average every other year, I'd rather it be it's a school like Georgia or a school or let's, I don't know, just let's let's pick a team maybe with a little more meaning and possibly a little more pedigree. Um, not, I don't mean historical pedigree, but like likelihood to be in the mix every single year. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it, look, if Notre Dame is going to be a playoff contender every year, that could be a schedule booster for us. It could be really fun. But what, well, what, are, what are your thoughts on that? I like it. Well, it depends on, are you, are you, is that game serving as like your, it's going to be our it's going to be our out of conference we don't swap in an acc game for it so and it's not going to count for acc standings so it basically is our out of conference game those years in that case no i definitely like i want to go with the a&m's the georgia's or the the auburn and upcoming lsu's of the world but but i i'm not i'm not opposed to it and by the way it's i think it's 2020 and and 21 so it's back to back. It's not I, I, 21. It's like, sure? it's 20 and then 22, 23, 27. It, it's a weird setup. We go all the way through 2031 scheduled against that. Well, I, I'll take them over. I mean, I, I'll take them over just the ACC schedule. What would be ideal though, and this won't happen, is, is switching a Wake Forest out for Notre Dame and then still having your Georgia or LSU out of conference. Or Tennessee. Yes. How, about, how about Tennessee? Notre Dame into the pods, and then we could use those games as conference games. Then we could start to schedule uh, you know, a 12th game against an interesting SEC opponent. Or you know, why not mess around and go to the Big Ten or the, the Big 12, for instance? Um, I think everyone would be up for that. So who knows? I don't know what type of leverage, what Notre Dame's contract situation is going to look like blah, blah, blah. Um, my, my God probably tells me nothing's going to change. They're going to stay out of the ACC and we're going to, for whatever reason, schedule them and cater to them. Um, I guess it's good for TV revenues for the conference and that trickles down to us. But anyway, yeah, to sacrifice our out of conference home and homes throughout a decade to play five out of 10 against them seems crazy to me four yeah. out of ten whatever it ends up being that just means we're gonna need North, uh, we're gonna need south carolina to actually pull their weight and be a top 25 <laughs> team and then we have our marquee sec game after all yeah either notre dame or south carolina if both of them can be consistently ranked i think that'd be all right but um anyway i guess my stance on this game and what it tells us about both of these teams going forward we've already talked about notre dame potentially being a playoff contender um they they let michigan back into that game though that's the thing like i agree with you on their defense looking improved uh giving shea patterson problems all night but they also let michigan back up off the off the mat uh so we'll see i'll believe it when i see it when when they're gonna run the table and if they're if they're playing a lot of like really close Florida state 2014 type of games, even Notre Dame 2012, when they made it to the national championship game, uh, they, they snuck through by being undefeated because they had a lot of just last second, barely wins, you know, that margin of error plus one loss is 
I think it'll leave them out. Michigan, on the other hand, I think we're maybe a little quick to overreact to, you know, throw dirt on Jim Harbaugh's grave at this point, because two years ago, they lost three games by a total of five points and went to an orange bowl, like a new Year's six bowl. Last year, they had quarterback injuries and a lot of turnover in their defense. Um, So I'm not making excuses for them. I just think, you know, tough road atmosphere, like Shea Patterson is getting ingrained into the offense of this team. Um, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not ready to like write Michigan off as a complete bust this year. Yeah. I'm going to agree with that. I'm, I'm sitting here pulling up their schedule because I wanted to see is, yeah. Okay. So they have, they have some cupcakes coming up. Uh, William and Mary SMU, uh, Nebraska at home uh, at Northwestern. So they have some time for their quarterback, their brand new quarterback to get, to get adjusted whilst figuring out if McCaff- the, the younger McCaffrey brother, Dylan McCaffrey can be a viable option as, as a backup or, or supplant. Uh, Shea Patterson. So you're right. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna write him off. I was a little bit disappointed. I thought with a one-dimensional quarterback that their defensive line would completely shut down Wimbush, but that wasn't the case. Um, but they have they have the cupcakes coming ahead of them, and then they have the back end of their schedule where if they have improved, this game won't matter in the long run because they could still win the uh, the Big Ten and, and carve out their way to the playoff uh, or their path to the playoff uh, and- the conference championship. And they lo- they lost by a sc- one score. So over time, people are going to go back and look at that and be like, oh, they only lost by a score to Notre Dame. Maybe Notre Dame by that point is like a top 10 team or a, you know, a well-situated top 10 team. You know, this, this loss could age decently. On the, my con- on the road, my concern is their O-line just looked completely hopeless um, against Notre Dame. So is that more Notre Dame being capable or Michigan being a complete mess? And I think it's probably more Michigan than anything. And well, we'll find out because Ohio state has just a deadly defensive line. So they will be exposed. Uh, and then, you know, if these teams are caught, it's kind of like Washington. Well, if Wisconsin Auburn, too. they play Wisconsin, right. Front crazy, good front seven there. So yeah, it, it's, I compare it like if Washington, if Auburn's giving you this much trouble, Washington, like good luck against Georgia, Bama or Clemson or Ohio state. And the same could be said for, um, for Michigan against Notre Dame. Yeah, I think maybe maybe one takeaway we could say definitively out of this game is not none of these teams will stack up to the elite within the within the, the nation. Uh, we we did not see a title contender playing in South Bend last night. The the only title contender well I saw two one one was in Louisville and the other was beating down Miami. But I'm just kidding. I, I'm only kidding <laughs> about the about the second one. But yeah, like no one really. I'll say Auburn. Of all the teams we talked about, Auburn is the, like maybe the one team, and I picked them as my sleeper. I, I could see as like being a legit playoff team. I didn't watch Ohio State, so um, the other Big Ten. I don't know if you have any feedback on the other Big Ten. Games. Yeah, why don't we stick, stick with the Big Ten? Because there's a few games we're not going to go in depth with any of these. Um, Ohio State scored 77 points. Like that's super impressive. They have a freshman, a redshirt freshman quarterback taking over. Um, to uh, Haskins is his name. Uh, apparently he looks completely legit. Now, that being said, they allowed 31 points to an Oregon state, uh, along with I think seven plays of 20 yards plus, uh, that, that Oregon state team was like ranked 120th last year in doing that, putting up plays of 20 points or more, 20, 20 yards or more in given games. And again, I'm sure when your team is, 
has 77 points on the scoreboard, you're not exactly hustling out defensive plays. Uh, it was, there was a huge weather delay in the middle of this game. Uh, they're under an interim coach. So certainly there's a little bit of incontinuity or incongruity going on in the locker room in Columbus. So my, I think my takeaway overall with all the Big Ten games that we're going to talk about here, including the Ohio State game, is we, we probably don't know that much, and it's going to be easy to overreact. I'm choosing not to overreact to this, but it's definitely something to keep an eye on is are they are they actually that legit of a defensive team this year, or is it going to be just a Big 12 type of program? Yeah, we'll see. I mean, they, there was a lot of hype for their, their defensive line last year, and while it was really good, I don't think it was great. I don't think it was as good as Clemson's or, or uh, maybe Alabama's, but I'll have to see them on tape. I'm, I'm, I'm looking over their schedule. So they do have TCU um, and out of conference game in two weeks. And, some and other- Urban, Urban won't be coaching that one. He's able mm-hmm. to basically be coaching during the week, but he won't be on the sideline for that game. And that one's on the road. How much do we care? I don't know. How much do we care if he's not there, if he can help you go through the process throughout the week and game planning? I guess it matters to not have him, but. It's uh, yeah, it's, it's basically, he's not suspended. I mean, I don't know. I think it's, let's say it's like 70, 30, like 70%. He can be present and coach him up and motivate. And I don't know, maybe do the pregame speech, maybe not, but um, you're going to miss maybe 30% of his contribution. I don't know enough about the, interim guy to know if what he'll add or what he'll bring to the team. It's just really interesting that they took or they didn't make interim two former head coaches that they have on the staff. This guy, Ryan Day has never been a, an interim, a head coach before. And they have two other guys that have been, but anyway, we don't need to talk too much Ohio state. <laughs> well, well, let me, because you are from Ohio and I, we haven't talked about it on this podcast. So, any any feelings, and you could say next or moving on, but any <laughs> any feelings on the Urban Meyer situation? Um, I mean, I grew up a Buckeyes fan. I think for whatever reason, the way Florida went down, and when they hired Urban Meyer, I was like eh, a little little sketchy, little sketchy of him. But he won a title pretty quickly, so I don't know. Like overall, I don't want to talk about the everything that went down, like you can probably go read our Twitter feed to get my feelings on that. But I, I think it's time for Ohio state to move on. And I'm, it's disappointing that they didn't choose to do that when they had a good window. And I think now they've made their bed and all the, anything that does come out going forward in it, you know, either with the Zach Smith situation or any other, anything else, they have kind of cashed in their chance to distance themselves from it by like, you know, doubling down on Urban Meyer, basically. So um, to see that, I mean, I was basically all in on the Jim Trestle era. He was an Ohio guy, came over from Youngstown State, was super successful there. And, uh, you know, Urban Meyer just felt kind of smarmy coming in. And I think for them to just, they, they had the chance to kind of take a moral high road with this one, and they, they didn't take it. They could have. And, you know, cleaned up the program. I don't think they would have been down too long. They've got tremendous assets, one of the best jobs in the country. I think they would have been able to find somebody. What it kind of tells me though, is they probably did not have someone on their short list that they were ready to move toward. And maybe they weren't comfortable with like the two year wait to get that person in. So 
I think they they missed their chance to distance themselves. So we'll see. Okay, fair enough. I won't I won't uh, ask any more about that. We won't touch on it. Just uh, just curious to get your opinion because we haven't talked about it. Um, yeah, I think you know maybe just reading like. I think everyone's like, oh, everyone in Ohio is probably like pro Meyer and it's just like tribalism uh, taking over. And I don't think that's true. I think a lot of people are, are able to look at this and say, we don't want our program supporting, um, a, you know, supporting or condoning or whatever um, domestic abuse or just, just whatever it is. And they're a little leery of, of what's going on with them. So um, anyway, yeah. We'll, we'll continue to kind of see what's going on there. I mean, it's super interesting. Like this is already affecting recruiting battles that Clemson is fighting with Ohio state. There's a linebacker that decommitted from there. People say Tennessee has the inside track. Um, I forget his name actually, but I think he's slated to come to a, a, an official campus visit with Clemson. Um, I think his name is Kane Patterson. Does that, does that resonate? It's, it's definitely Kane. Yeah, the Kane uh, sticks out, but I can't remember if it's, it's Patterson. But yeah, you're right. Um, there's also an offensive lineman we could be in the mix for. But um, yeah, yeah, you know, I think the more fascinating part, and not fascinating in necessarily a good way, is is seeing how fans react in 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 these situations and whether or not, whether or not they prioritize football over I don't know, just being a good human. Uh, right. But but you know, like you said, it's never. It's always there's always contingencies of, of fans that feel different ways and. Um, it's certainly not a hundred percent and I don't know what percentage it is that that's a uh, pro Meyer and what it's the ones, uh, it's the ones that think there's a witch hunt out for your coach. That's when it gets a little bit intense and that's what, like what's happened at what happened at Penn state, for example. Yeah, for sure. It's basically, and look, I mean, I, I thought this and I probably vocalized it at one point, like throughout this process, uh, you just got to be careful what you're saying as a fan base toward other fan bases, because just about like, well, of course you're just supporting him because he's your coach. Um, I, I'm curious how things would go if there's a similar situation happening at Clemson. I'm sure there'd be a vocal piece of the Clemson fan base that would be just full on defending the, the innocence of this coach or saying like, it's not that big a deal. He didn't, he didn't do anything specifically wrong. So what's going on here? Um, and I would just hope that we would all like all of the moral kind of superiority that we're bringing to the Ohio state situation. I would hope we would bring that same feeling and sentiment to anything that happened at Clemson. Um, and I, I totally saw like a lot of, a lot of positive sentiment from people being like, look, if it happened, we'd send Dabo packing basically. Um, Agreed. I've always thought along the same lines, like, you know, if you're going to take the moral righteous, you know, standpoint against these opposing teams, if it, if it comes to your own home, like, you know, have that, you same gotta, you gotta take that out, you know, exactly. Um, so anyway, as this for a transition, you mentioned Penn state, let's talk about Penn state, um, not through any type of scandal, but they made the unfortunate decision to schedule an early game with app state, uh, and while Clemson did that a couple years ago and um, managed to skate through that, uh, Penn State nearly dropped one a decade to the day to when Michigan had done had done so. Um, just one of the most amazing days of college football history. And unfortunately, um, I don't necessarily know that this says a whole lot about Penn State and about Penn State's you know future run for the year. 
So again, I'm going to, I'm going to not overreact to a week one result. App State's a really good team, a really good program. I mean, are they on the level of Penn State talent wise, facility wise, coaching wise? They're not, but you know, any given Saturday, um, you've got a well-coached team hungry in the, in their history of their program in the past, they can go do this thing. Um, and maybe Penn State comes in a little, little rusty. They've got bigger aspirations than a winning the opener. May, may not be as big a priority for them as it is for other other programs out there. So I'm not that surprised that App State, you know, punched him in the mouth a little bit. Uh, but it's certainly interesting that both Penn State and Michigan State kind of had those scares in the first week. Yeah, and for Penn State, for me, it's like they were really good last year. Uh, I think there's there's a few gaps. It seems like the national media and want Penn State to be – top five Penn State, like an elite program, Penn State. They really want them to be there. My, my, my friend who went to Penn State feels like they're there, but I just don't think they're there. And I, last year they were close and they were knocking. They lost enough that I just – they're going to be a good team under, under um, Franklin, but I, I just, it's going to be hard for them to consistently stay in the top ten. Like, unless their recruiting just jumps up, and, and it has jumped up a good bit. I, I just – you know, I won't take too much from this, but – you can't not take something from this either. Yeah, I, th- I think it's fair to, to say, like, cool, you guys are at the – you're basically at like the second or third tier of, like, college football elites at this point. They're certainly not in the top tier. Uh, they haven't proven it. They haven't gotten to the college football playoff. And I think they're, they're, they're certainly in the money from the blue chip rating. They're in the, in the 50% plus of their last four-year average being – four or five star from a recruiting standpoint, they may just be cracking and entering that, that standing. Um, but that's if, for those that don't know, that's basically Bud Elliott from SB nation basically figured out that in order to really compete for championships, you need to be recruiting and adding talent to your team at a ratio of 50% or more blue chip talent. And um, I think for Penn state to get over the hump. So a team like Washington is not yet there. Um, and I, they may play in a, a soft, easy conference. And they may be. They may have made the playoffs, playoff a couple of years ago, but to really compete, to really have a shot, you've got to have up and down the roster four or five stars. And UW's not there. Penn State's starting to get there. I think you also need. So basically, I guess my point or my read on that is, I agree with you. They're kind of in this like third tier. They want to aspire. They want to punch, punch upward. They need to. You need a lot. And I think for Clemson, we've, we've certainly experienced it ourselves. A lot of things have to come, come in such as timing. You know, we've had amazing defenses in the past and didn't quite get the timing of our, our best quarterback years um, lined up with that necessarily in like 2014 Um, or years before that we had an amazing offense and didn't quite have the defensive personnel or the line. And, um, you know, recruiting at a blue chip rate year in, year out allows you to have, your timing kind of slows down and a lot of those things can overlap a lot better. Uh, but I don't think we're, we're quite at that level yet where Penn state's there and they actually Clemson kind of had an easier road, uh, because some of our rise coincided with Florida state plateauing Penn state is really in the, I mean, they could benefit if something goes South with both Michigan and Ohio state, they could be left there kind of as the lone elite in the big 10 East. Uh, the way that kind of Clemson is found and taking the reins of the AC Atlantic, not because I don't think we deserve it, but we sort of had other external forces kind of work in our favor too. So I wouldn't be surprised if they'd made that next leap. I think you're right. It's going to all come from recruiting. 
seems like they got the right coach there um, for the time being. But I think also though, he was two years ago, I'm pretty sure we were saying he was a, an average season away from potentially being on the hot seat at Penn state too. And I'm not, I think it would take like three more years, three really bad years for him to get back in that spot. But I don't know that everyone always knew all along James Franklin was going to be that guy. Yeah. I, I, I don't remember his early years, but uh, it seems like the, like you're saying, what you're saying, it was like spot on. It was really good analysis about like the stars aligning. If you're in that second or third tier of, and, and I didn't want to diminish them because of their talent is good and it's gotten better. But when you're in that, like, it's kind of like Clemson, you could say 14 and 15. And like you said, like Clemson's defense, if, if that defense could have merged with the 15 offense, that's probably good enough for a national championship or close. But, um, but yeah, they, they're, they're not too far away. And I think James Franklin, and maybe the other part is like the finite resources of the, of the Midwest slash going up to the, the Northeast because there's only, there's only, there's a lot of football players in Georgia and Florida. There's only so many up in those States and they're, yeah, they got they to hit on their locals big time um, or then, start to take away from other zones of the country. Yeah, such as like Ohio or Ohio State's kind of domain as as it is now. Which if Urban Meyer's out, then they're going to come. They're going to they're going to come. Take, Ohio State might as well try to hire James Franklin at that point because he's just going to take all their recruits one way or the other. Oh, what a what a what a baller move that would be. <laughs> uh, Saquon Barkley's gone. He he kind of was their whole offense last year. Trace McSorley's still there, uh, so I guess they're going to try to be more passing oriented. Um, in their offense. And they also lost their offensive coordinator. Uh, he's now head coach at Mississippi state spacing on his name, but um, a lot of transition and turnover at Penn state. I think this is the question. Do you see them regress a little bit losing almost like their CJ Spiller and losing their Chad Morris uh, both in the same year? Are you going to see their Tony Elliott, you know, figure it out? We'll, we'll see. Um, but yeah, the doors kind of open in the big, big 10 East Maryland got an impressive win against, um, Texas. They've had a lot of turmoil there. DJ Durkins on administrative leave. They have Matt Canada though, is the, um, the acting coach. He, he's been kind of around college football a little bit, really strong name. I guess if you're going to have an interim coach, you basically could be a head coach in a lot of places. So, I mean, Maryland might, might make it interesting in the big 10 East. I don't know. I think this all plays well for Wisconsin's chances for the rest of the year. Yeah. Um, Matt Canada, formerly of Pittsburgh, uh, who, you know, crafted the, the game plan to beat us in 16. Um, yeah. How many times is Texas going to lose to Maryland, by the way? I think if you lose three times in a row, you automatically lose your job. Like they're going to send Tom Herman packing. Like you can't lose to Maryland anymore, especially given the circumstances surrounding their program right now. Um, yeah. So, it's shocking to me that he can't find a quarterback in Texas, like to from what he did at Ohio State and like look, different different programs, different trajectories right now, et cetera. But it's it's crazy. Um the shine's definitely off the road or the blooms off the rose a little bit, I think, in in Austin with Tom Herman. I mean, he's he's gonna have a long leash there for the most part and watch him mess around and beat Oklahoma this year. Well, yeah, that's and that's another team that's wow. Like Lincoln Riley doesn't miss a beat, huh? Yeah, you, Dude, but, with transfer quarterbacks from Texas, the state yeah. of Texas. 
who may or may not be playing baseball. I don't know what's going on there, but uh, we'll, we'll see. Um, I, I'll, I'll be interested to see them against good competition, but I mean, Lincoln Riley, he's just, he's, he's kind of like miles on. He's just a genius. Yeah. I don't know that he's getting enough credit. And again, it's, this is his second year. I think it's going to be one of those like, Oh, you just took Bob Stoops, talent and team. You were the OC of that. Like you just continued it on kind of like Mark Helfrich with Oregon leading them to that national championship game against Ohio state. Um, I think what they want to see is, all right, Baker Mayfield, your Heisman guy's gone. Like what, what have you done for me lately? Can you do it again? And it looks like all signs are pointing to the offense, not skipping a beat this year. Um, I don't know that that says any, like I'm not choosing to take that as a negative on Baker Mayfield. He was not a system quarterback. I think he was super legit. Uh, but just like for Helfrich after Mariota, his they were no they were then not able to develop a quarterback and get an offensive identity in Oregon. We'll see in with Oklahoma, but I think he's going to be all right. And look, if they if they can continue to make transfers work, why not keep going to that well? Yeah, and maybe maybe I should maybe not be so overreactionary to uh, to Oklahoma's first. Yeah, beating Lane Kiffin's FAU team. <laughs> Who, I, who are known to be good offensively, right? But I, I'm assuming they're lacking on defense. I know nothing about FAU, but that would just be my assumption. Safe, safe, safe bet. Yeah. So, but, you know, we'll see. We'll see in, in short order how the offense looks, but not an impressive first week performance nonetheless. So, um, I'm sorry, I kind of breezed over the Wisconsin, probably because as much as as good as they are, as much as I respect them, I just, they're so boring. They're kind of like special teams. They're the special teams. Of the big of the Big Ten, yeah, I watched part of that game Friday. Uh, Jonathan Taylor looks like he's already in the NFL. Basically, I mean, just his open field running, his timing. Um, is he a sophomore? Great question. I'm not sure. Um, I think he. I think he is. Well, we can check it. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, he looks super solid, but it's kind of typical Wisconsin. Like they're gonna have a strong defense and a strong running game and maybe a potentially suspect passing game. They've got a, their best receivers basically not dismissed from the team, but like suspended from the team basically for um, off field incident allegations of a legal matter. Um, that's not helping <laughs> having your best receiver when you're already constrained in the passing game. They were pretty, pretty high on their quarterback Hornybrook this year, taking a leap but if you take away his biggest weapon, that might be difficult. So yeah, they're going to, they have a tough schedule. They got to go to Ann Arbor. I think they go to Columbus to play the Buckeyes as well. So no longer do they just have the cupcake West. Uh, they're, they're now facing off with some of the better teams in the conference and they got to win the, the title to make it. So we'll see, but any turmoil that's going on in the East only plays to their favor. I think was my point. No, fair enough. Uh, and you and Jonathan Taylor is indeed a sophomore. Uh, that's a true sophomore. Um, it'll be good. They should be tested. Like you don't want to face an Ohio state to win the championship and, and get into the playoff as nice as that would have been for us last year and not had to play Alabama. Like, I just don't think like make sure they're battle tested and they actually have the, the requisite test, uh, in, in our, in our actual playoff caliber. Um, maybe, maybe I'll throw out one more score. I don't know if you have any other like thoughts around college football, but just Boston college. Um, they had, um, AJ Dillon. I can't remember who they played. I'm not looking at their box score, but they blew they out. UMass, I think. 
UMass, and I don't know much about UMass, but they blew them out. That's a, it's not a typical BC box score. So, you know, kind of it, it piqued my interest a little bit. So they're a team I'm going to be looking at. Maybe they're the, they're the kind of dark horse in the ACC Atlantic. I mean, uh, yeah. Yeah. You probably, maybe you didn't make it all the way through because it was like three hours long, but our, our odyssey of an interview with Shaking the Southland Dudes, when we covered BC, at, my comment was like, look, this is every, every national pundit's sexy upset pick on Clemson's schedule is BC. Every like quality analyst whose opinion I value and trust is saying BC is also the pick on our schedule. And they are... They look legit, certainly. I think by middle of November, though, or like early November, if they if they are that legit, I don't know that this is necessarily going to be a trap game for us. Um, could it be a tough contest for sure? And I think they will be somewhat single dimension, and I trust Brent Venable's ability to take away the run and make, uh, I think it's Anthony Brown, beat us with his arm. Uh, that said also BC will be facing a really rough road stretch before and after they play us. So, um, I, I think it's good. We talked earlier about like, if Miami is not going to be that legit, like we might be wanting for ranked matchups this year, um, on our schedule. So I, I welcome a good BC. I think those were really fun years when they joined the ACC and they had like the likes of Matt Ryan. Unfortunately, we lost, I think our first three matchups when they joined the ACC against Boston college, but um, I'm all about it. I got a couple of buddies that went there. Yeah. It looks like they can waltz their way uh, into a top, potentially a top 25 ranking given like their first half of the schedule. Um, but you're right. By the time we face them, they'll, we'll, we'll know who they are um, and they'll have put some stuff on film, but yep. I agree. And you know, like maybe that's the right pick for the, the lone upset. I've heard some Georgia techs being thrown out there and I'm like, you know, I, I get it. You know, maybe go, my, I, my pick was wake forest. And that's insane, I know. But Dave Clawson, we will only lose to a really good offensive team, is my opinion. And I think Wake's a really good offensive team. It's I would take Wake over uh, any day over the week uh, over Georgia Tech. Like, have you seen us play Georgia Tech the last three yeah, years? Totally. And, yeah, or is it the last four years? I don't know. It, I just yeah maybe wake you're right good offensive team um I maybe the maybe the pick isn't BC because they even though they have AJ Dillon if you're one dimensional like we're pretty good Brent Venables is pretty good against the run when he can put extra bodies there so maybe that's not the pick yeah. either maybe I'm there not, isn't I'm a not, good pick I'm not criticizing people picking it I think that they will not creep up on us it's kind of my point because they're going to they'll be very hyped and we will know kind of what they bring to the table and. If everyone's staying it, can you really, can it really be a trap game? True. And maybe you just go with tried and true Florida state as your, as your one upset pick. Yeah. Uh, well, they play tomorrow night against Virginia tech. Um, and I guess their rival Miami tonight was pretty much embarrassed on national TV on a Sunday with no other games on uh, against LSU. Are you surprised by this outcome? I, I was, yeah, absolutely. I, I, well, I assume Miami's offense would be a little bit more potent. I, Malik Rozier like really faded at the end of last year. I assume they would take make some strides. He would make some strides. Um, it, it, they didn't look bad out the gates, and their defense looked good. You hear they have some of the best linebackers in the country. I think they stood up 
and uh, that that panned out. But when your quarterback's that bad, uh, and you, you can't even sustain drives, like you're going to yeah, see defense some got gassed. Yeah, for sure. Like I think defense was gassed. They were turning the ball over also, so that didn't do the defense any favors. Um, yeah, it's. I, I wonder if they have a backup plan. I haven't done enough research in Miami so far, but everyone, everyone, myself included, was just penciling them in in the coastal. Virginia Tech's had a lot of dismissals from the team and turnover, guys going to the league and graduating, and then some injuries. So I don't know that the Hokies are necessarily a a clear number two, and if they are, there's a pretty big drop off to number three. So I mean, it could be one of those years where Paul Johnson messes around and wins the coastal and saves his job for the next five years, and we got to face him a second time. Gets an extension. We got to face him a second time. Uh, maybe that's the the bold prediction. Oh God, something something wonky or whatever is going to happen, and we're not going to be able to predict it because right now it feels very blah. Um, yeah. And but yeah, and I don't think LSU is back yet. You know, I think they might be better than the 2015 in the nation, which they're ranked right now. But I don't. I think it was more of an indictment on Miami uh, from what I saw, given uh, LSU's quarterback was. Like you mentioned, he's a game manager and he managed the game, but he, nothing spectacular on offense. Right. A, a sound defense, a, a top 15, top 10 defense. Yeah, I mean, he was um, he was the backup, the perennial backup. It would basically be like if Cole Stout transferred um, when Deshaun was coming in. And um, he was the backup at Ohio State, is what I meant to say, Burrow. And uh, yeah, I... LSU, they got a strong D with a lot of playmakers. It looks like they have some pretty athletic receivers and a running back with a, you know, French last name. <laughs> it's basically the <laughs> LSU formula is coming, coming through. It's not like Les Miles is there anymore, but Coach O is committed to it. Yeah, good, good for uh, maybe the 15th best team in the country and maybe a team that could surprise Bama, but probably not. Right, exactly. They'll play Bama to like a... 15 to nine score, something like that. Um, I got nothing else in terms of scoreboard. I mean, I, we should probably be looking at other ACC opponents like NC state to see what's going on with them. But really my sights are set more on the Texas A&M matchup coming up. Um, I'm going to catch up here with a Texas A&M alum in an interview. We'll get that up live later in the week. I think we're going to do a proper recap of the of the Furman game and throw in some season predictions as well for the Tigers. Um, anything else we're working on here, Cody? Uh, I don't think so. I, 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 is, do you have anything more coming up with uh, like STS guys or? Um... Yeah, I imagine we will reconnect with with that crew again. Um, I imagine soon enough here we'll do probably more like a one on one with QT Quacking Tiger. Uh, talk about recruiting implications as well as Alex Kraft. And then I think we might be trying to trying to communicate a little bit with the Clemson pause guys as well. Um, they've recently opened up the paywall on their website. Um, and those guys always do good work. Um, so yeah, looking forward to just continuing to, you know, chat, chat with folks in the Clemson universe about what's going on with this team. Yeah, I'd strongly advise anyone that's that's wants to learn more about Clemson football, like player analysis and um, some like schematic concepts. If you like the nerdy details, like Clemson Paws, uh, the Kraken, and those other guys, like they do they do a great job. No more paywall. Um, we would like to do like we're we're just we're testing the waters. If anyone has interest, you can give us feedback. But 
you and I would like to do like a gambling, not a gambling, but like looking at the lines over unders and see if like we find any good value on a week to week basis, predicting, just predicting the upcoming matchups like we looked at today um, and, and do that, doing that within the context of the, the, the lines or the spreads and the over and unders. Honestly, Cody, I mean, it, it has nothing to do with betting on these games. I think you can learn a lot tracking these things over time. Just remembering like, you know, such and such team continue to be favored in the first three, four weeks of the year. And they just continuously uh, get, get beaten on the spread or don't hit the spread, that kind of thing. You can, I think you can learn as that progresses. So, and it's just more fun. It's a fun way to look at a game and be like, um, all right, you know, they were favored by this many points. Really that should become our assessment or it's one measure you can take to say that they overachieved or underachieved is the point spread. Um, and it's, I mean, I, I personally have fun looking at things like the over under, um, on certain games, like you've got like a Baylor versus Texas tech and you're like, can they beat the over under set at like 75 points? Like, and they get there by halftime, <laughs> you know, sometimes that kind of thing happens pretty fun to watch. So yeah, I'm all about it. We'll have to figure out like how we actually take a look at, maybe we pick like five games of the coming weekend and you and I make picks and we kind of talk through what we like about it or don't or whatever. Yeah, I'm all, all on board for that. There's the guys in Vegas, they know what they're doing. They're really good yep. at, at picking a line. Yeah, for sure. And gambling's, you know, quasi-legal, going to continue to be ubiquitous. Um, so why not? Why not learn something? That's my hope. There you go. So, hey, by the way, you still get four to one odds if you want to place that wager on Clemson to win the national championship. You get, for, for people that don't know, every, every dollar you put in, you get $4. So it's a pretty good deal, pretty good value. Or you could buy Amazon stock. <laughs> um, but this pays out in January, so I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, good point. <laughs> um, all right, well, uh, look, week one has been pretty fun. I'm looking forward to checking out the Florida State and Virginia Tech game tomorrow. I, I don't know. I'm feeling like Florida State's going to have a pretty clean win there. But Fuente is a great coach, so he'll have those guys ready. Uh, it's in Tallahassee. For some reason, I thought this one was a neutral site pretty much because Florida state always plays neutral, neutral site games early in the year, but it is not. I think that one's at, at Doak. Um, any, any big things you're looking for in that game? I guess let's see what we get from Deandre Francois, right? For sure. And I can't wait. I'm, I'm eager to see the new offensive concepts that they're, they've, they've installed. It's more spread concepts, pace. Uh, and then defensively, they've got a whole, whole new system that's more simplified and less complex. Um, so like, it should be a new team and a new like brand of football, which not so good for Clemson, but like, you know, it's, there should be a resurgent FSU program. We'll, we'll see how long it takes for that to to come into effect. Yeah, I guess their defensive system is sort of in, um, not all that dissimilar from Brent Venables and and his approach. Um, they play a cover four and we have a, a slight variant on that, but. Anyway, yeah, interesting to see Florida State kind of keeping up with the Joneses a little bit for a change. Yeah, after after Jimbo and his old ways, his his good old boy ways. Yeah, they're they're changing we, some things up. We won't have to wait too long to see him uh, with this A and M game coming up. So, uh, our colleague Ben is going to be heading down there. I'm not sure if Sam is. Um, he's heading down to College Station to take in this game. We're jealous of that, but uh, he'll, he'll come back with some firsthand reports of the tailgating scene, Kyle Field, all the yelling going on there, and hopefully what amounts to a Clemson victory uh, coming back. So 
Um, we look forward to that report and getting this firm in preview to y'all, as well as some gambling insights toward the end of the week uh, as well. So thanks for tuning in. Uh, we've seen our listener accounts go up quite a bit. So we appreciate everyone's word of mouth, spreading the word about the, about the Tigers. We share your enthusiasm for this upcoming season. We hope to have you along with us all season long. Stick with us as we experiment with some new content formats. Give us your feedback. If you don't like a given show, just skip it, skip over, uh, hit up the next show, hit up the next uh, episode that we've got, or go back into the archive. We've got some pretty funny stuff back there. Um, Cody, anything you got? No, I didn't. You said it all. We'll, uh, we'll let people off the hook. Thanks for sticking with us this long if, you, if you're still with us. <laughs> yep, sounds good. Uh, appreciate the listens. We'll get back with you guys soon. And as always, go Tigers.